You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. You know, in all the times that we've done this program, and we've talked about all kinds of topics, but one that we haven't talked about, which is really unnatural when you're talking about Louisiana, is the outdoors life, is the, uh, is the wildlife and the fishes and the fish and the birds and, and everything that's out there. So we're going to rectify that today. With me is, uh, is Chris Holmes, who is uh, himself uh, uh, an avid outdoors guy. He's also written articles in several magazines, including Louisiana Life about the, uh, the outdoors and why he did a, a hunting guide uh, for Louisiana Life a couple of, guys, uh, a couple of years ago. So, so here's the guy who knows what's out in the field. So thank you very much, Chris. Um, uh, let me get the first question out the way that everybody's wondering about, everybody wants to ask. So Will, have you ever seen Bigfoot? I have not. Okay. Do you think there is a Bigfoot? No. All right. Well, that's no fun. Okay. All right. But no, most of the guys that do think it's there, and some of them are yeah. afraid of it. But. Yeah, yeah. Most theories seem to think uh, think it's a bear. Okay. Um, if you had something to sell, you know, you can have a little stand and all that, and like Bigfoot. I don't know souvenirs or something. That'd be good. Anyway, um, let's first of all look at I want to look at some of the particular animals out there, and then. And the fish, but let's look at the areas in the state. What are the best if someone wants to just go and explore and see wildlife, maybe for hunting and maybe just for taking pictures or just seeing? What are some of the best areas? One of the good things about that part of it is, you know, the state through the wildlife department does have plenty what they generally call wildlife management areas. Uh, a lot of more accessible, you know, by land, certainly some by boat, whatever. And they they do both. You know, we have a lot of consumptive sports. You know, the fishing and the hunting and stuff like that. But also birding, berry picking. You know, so many different things to do that. And it's it's varied across the state with the terrain. I mean, going North Louisiana, you know, more in the hilly areas and uh, on the river bottoms by the Delta, and then you get down closer to New Orleans, you got a lot more of the swamps. Uh, Pearl River Wildlife Management Area encompasses the Honey Island Swamp, which is a huge complex and you know a variety, total variety of wildlife and fishes in there that can lord well two of the best known areas one is the is the kasachi forest correct um, would you recommend that and what should you look for there yeah i mean kasachi you know is further up north it's it's federal property uh, again has lots of access lots of good roads and stuff in there you know it is one of the areas where you can find Black bears, you know, we, we actually have a bigger population. It's growing constantly. There's even rumors, you know, talking about a limited hunting season in some areas on the bears have made an amazing comeback. I don't think they're quite ready for that yet. But uh, those in the parishes around, you know, Homa, uh, Terrebonne, all those areas, I mean, people are seeing them in their yards and in their you know, garbage cans and stuff. So uh, rare sightings of black bears 
from about mid central state, you know, up to the north area will be the best there. But Kasachi is prime, you know, deer hunting property, upland birds, quail, uh, some dove hunting, uh, and then certain spots that have lakes, you know, would be duck hunting also. So if they see black bears in the home area as well, that's in the southern part of the state. So are Correct. they gradually migrating south a little bit more? Or? They're, yeah, they're just spreading. I mean, obviously, you know, bears are somewhat territorial. So what happens is they, they're having more of them. So they're pushing the other ones out. They're moving, expanding their range. And uh, like I said, it's, it's a real good success story. I mean, we were down to almost none. And we do have an, an, a species, you know, DNA test, Louisiana black bear. I mean, it is a subspecies of the black bear, but it is native to Louisiana. And that's one of the ones they worked really hard on, you know, getting the populations to come back and they're succeeding. So how does it compare to a, a grizzly bear? Black bears are much smaller for one thing. Um, you know, grizzlies, uh, like I said, I'll be in Alaska by tomorrow and uh, I'll be filming a lot of the big brown bears up there. Brown bears get grizzlies, uh, same bears. But, uh, you know, blacks are a lot smaller, probably not as aggressive. They certainly, you know, will attack. There are instances of black bears attacking. But, um, you know, it's just, and they do have brown color phase. They're technically black bears a species, but they do come in color phases. Uh, Louisiana, not so much, but you get out in Colorado, Canada, places like that, that have blonde colored ones, brown colored ones, and some mixed colored ones on there. And they're all still black bears. So brown bears, brown bears and grizzlies are the same thing. Yes, generally the uh, grizzly is the inland, you know, up in Yellowstone, uh, those type of areas. You get out like to Alaska toward the coast where they're on the coastal Alaska and stuff. It's coastal brown bears generally. Uh, they're all subspecies of grizzly. Uh, some, you know, just generally are bigger. The coastal brown bears, like in Kodiak, Alaska and stuff are just huge. We do not have any brown bears in Louisiana. So the black bears that we have, they pretty much, are they, uh, are they, are they vegetarians? Are they, are they berry eaters? Or what? Yeah, they're omnivores. They eat both. They, they'll be eating berries. You know, you know, here you probably don't get a real true hibernation, you know, because of our, our winters, but they will go dormant, you know, in dens for the winter. And then when they come out, generally at that point, they're eating berries, things that are coming alive, you know, early spring and stuff like that. Up north where you have real winters and freezes, when they first come out, they may be eating uh, dead animals that didn't survive the winter and they'll eat carrion and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, our bears are just mixed. They're opportunists. They're going to eat, you know, whatever we have growing wild. You know, we know we got lots of blackberries and it would probably be the most, but they'll dig up roots. And then, you know, any other small animals they can catch, they will eat also. So during the winter in Louisiana, where do they hibernate? I mean, we don't have any hills and mountains to go. No, there'll be dens that they'll make either dug out, you know, side of a hill, down trees. You have areas that may be forested with, you know, a lot of, uh, they'll pile up the treetops and stuff that they just leave that they don't sell the lumber for. And they'll just hole up in there and stuff. And like I said, there's several in the programs that are under tracking collars. So they know exactly where they go, where to find them. Uh, just recently, I saw a story on the wildlife site where they had a whole bunch of cubs. They'll go in there, pull the cubs out. They take uh, blood samples for DNA so they can track them and, you know, weigh them and identify them and stuff and try and keep track of where they're heading, where they're spreading. So the cubs are still sleeping. It's the people come and pull them out and, and yeah. see them. It's, it's, it's obviously hot enough for, for them all to be out now, but yeah, they will, they do go somewhat dormant. Like I said, I don't know if it's a true hibernation, like 
you know, where they're in a snow cave somewhere, just totally sleeping and not eating stuff. I just think of the Cubs saying, I had the strangest dream last night, mom, that this man came in, this human came and pulled me out and put something on me. You, you can see it on their face when they're holding them up for the pictures and stuff. Like they have no clue what's going on. Oh, really? Okay. And so what months are they usually hibernating? During, just during the winter months? It's going to be the winter. Yeah. I mean, really. And again, you know, where South Louisiana don't have, you know, hard. I mean, I don't know if we had one or two hard freezes down this part, but even central and North Louisiana, we didn't have any real extended freezes. You know, we don't get snowed in where it stays iced up and stuff like that. So really just starting, you know, the cold, our coldest months are generally going to be December through February. And then, you know, as uh, March starts rolling around, uh, everything starts blooming and they'll start getting a little more active then. Okay, and whenever we talk about the indigenous bear, we have to mention the story of the teddy bear. Do you know that the story of the origin of that? Not enough to repeat it, but uh, I, uh, I'm familiar with it. Okay, well, what, what, in 1902, Teddy Roosevelt, who was president, but who was also an avid hunter, was hunting in Mississippi. Uh, and supposedly some of his tour guides found the baby black bear and they clubbed it for some reason. And they <laughs> tied it to a tree and they said, okay, Mr. President, take a shot. And he refused. He said, what's unsportsmanlike? Well, I think there was a reporter in the entourage who did a story about that and it became global. I mean, people were so excited about the, the president refusing to shoot a cub that they thought referred to as Teddy's bear. And okay. Then, and then toy manufacturers, I think in the, in the Manhattan, some toy store started making a stuffed bear called Teddy bear. And then, then the European manufacturer did large scale. Bear. Anyway, so the whole Teddy bear thing became, I mean, so it all started with Mississippi, but with our, our, our black bear. We have the, do we have wolves in the woods? We do not have any wolves. We have coyotes, um, lots of coyotes. They're, uh, you know, and the coyotes now are in urban areas. I mean, all over New Orleans, City Park has got several groups of coyotes. You will regularly see them. Uh, they are more active at nighttime. But yeah, neighborhoods, uh, they love cats and dogs, uh, people that have stray cats. Uh, I've lost a couple that I know have been uh, victims of coyotes. And when did this spread begin? Because uh, it wasn't always like that. No, and you know, one thing in the research on coyotes shows that they're very adaptive. And you know, obviously, there's been efforts to try and eradicate them in in areas, and they've found that they put more pressure on them to kill them, and their their litter size will increase. You know, so instead of having five and eight, they'll have ten and twelve just to keep the populations up. And like everything. It's a little bit of both. I mean, they're spreading, but also people are spreading. You know, we're in areas now that were woods that are now homes and subdivisions and they push them to the outside edges. But, you know, they come in and I tell you, if, you know, a lot of people aren't awake late at night, but that's when they're roaming around. And like I said, I've had them walk down middle of a street in downtown St. Bernard. You know, I've yet to see a coyote. I hear all these people talking about it and uh, but I, I, I'd love to see one, you know, so. Uh... No. They're regularly out in the east, you know, we have a big wildlife refuge out there where there is no hunting by Sauvage. And with I-10 running right through the middle, uh, it's regular. You'll see them dead on side of the interstate. If I could get a roadrunner bird and have it <laughs> out there and see if a coyote would come in uh, and chase after it. Anyway, the, um, okay, so we don't have any wolves. Foxes? We do have foxes. We have red and gray foxes. Okay. And uh, what's the difference besides the color? What's the difference between the two? Just basically, I mean, they're just 
you know, subspecies of each other. The reds are completely, uh, you know, bright red, uh, like a golden retriever kind of red, maybe a little brighter than that with a tail. The gray fox has the same color red on its face and a little bit on the tail, but they're just a real steely kind of mixed gray with white tips on the hair. And they're generally a little smaller than the reds. Right. And then what I hear a lot of people talk about is feral pigs. Feral hogs. Yeah, I don't think there is a single parish in the state that does not have hogs now. Uh, and that's, you know, a nationwide phenomenon. They, they are exploding. You know, Louisiana, in fact, this starting early last year, finally went, we can now hunt feral hogs at nighttime. Uh, and again, all in effort to try and stem the population down some. So it used to be, there's no season on them. Uh, they can be hunted year round, except on the management areas. You have to abide by certain regulations just because of their setup. But private property, leased property, they can be killed year round, no limits. And now on the private property and the leased property, as long as you have permission, you can actually hunt them at nighttime now, which is a lot easier to hunt uh, and get them because they are they are fairly nocturnal. And was it true that the that those hogs trace back to the Spanish, the early Spanish? Uh, who brought some uh, brought some pigs with him, and then and yeah, I, the study I that was like in the 1500s. Yes, a lot. Of Florida, obviously, Florida, you know, was a landing place for a lot of people because it stuck out and they ran into it, whether they were looking for it or not. But yeah, a lot of them started in those areas. Florida has huge populations, you know, and some of the some of the places that don't didn't have them naturally, even places in Louisiana, they were brought by people wanting to raise them and they escaped and, you know, and some of them would just, uh, Honey Island Swamp is one thing. When they first started letting us hunt hogs in there, they used to have to say unmarked hogs could be taken because what happened, farmers used to free reign their hogs all through that swamp property because it was just swamp land open, you know, uh, it was technically owned, but nobody did anything. So they would just raise their hogs and then gather them back up to sell them for slaughter and stuff and some would escape but they used to mark them by cutting their ears and tagging it so legally when the state started a hunting season they couldn't tell you you could go kill somebody else's hog legally so they just used to put it out that it was unmarked hogs i don't believe any of those exist that's been a long time now but yeah they and the domestic hog also will revert to a feral hog you know within a matter of two three generations so what's the difference between a hog and a pig same thing basically um, different calling it. Like I said, we have, you know, you will see in the hogs that we kill that some are probably domestic, you know, feral hogs that came from domestic hogs. And then we have a lot of them, which are generally categorized as Russian hogs, which was a strain that people were raising, but specifically for hunting and a lot of them hunting with the dogs. And they are, they're obvious when you see them, they're different shaped. They have real slim, uh, their hind end is a lot smaller. They're high in the shoulder like a razorback with some raised hair and stuff. Whereas the domestic hogs that are still feral hogs are going to be just like a big, you'll see them like a big pig. They get wilder hair and stuff, but they're just different shapes. They're more like, you know, what you would see uh, being raised. So what happened, you know, they've been here for 700 years. <laughs> what happened, I don't know, in the last few decades or so has been such an, and then all the excuses about, well, population growth, that they usually use for a decline in animals, okay, that doesn't seem to be a factor. No, and again, because the hogs are adaptive, they also will eat 
meat and whatever they can dig up. So they're surviving in our marshes. They're surviving in the you know, hard woodlands. And again, they're surviving in neighborhoods. Uh, even close to my house, uh, I get reports, you know, you'll see them at the end of a street. They come out of a little patch of woods that's left between subdivisions and they're rooting up all the ground in there. But they will raid any birds that lay eggs, you know, on, nest on the ground. They will raid that. They'll catch small animals. Uh, and they are thriving. They are... They're working on another program now. They're, they've been experimenting. They're trying to figure out ways to poison them, which I'm generally not in favor of because I think the ultimate ends up being good intentions, bad results, you know, just worried about other animals, you know, so they put the poison out, hog eats it, something comes, eats the dead hog, you know, does they, they spread the poison through other species. So they're still working on it. They're trying to get targeted chemicals that are going to only affect the hogs. And uh, I've seen some promising results out of Texas. They're getting close on some of them, but I mean, it's every, not every state has them as of now, but I will say every state will eventually have them. Um, are they good to eat? They are, they're very good. I've, uh, you know, I hear kind of like everything you hear anecdotal stories, the big old boar hogs, you know, they, they smell and they're not good to eat and stuff. And they're probably tougher. I can't tell you how many hogs I've killed over the last 20 years between me and friends. I've never had a bad one at all. So uh, I, I enjoy them. Uh, again, it's, it's just another avenue for us hunters. It's, a, it's another big game animal, you know, that wasn't native to the state. I mean, we don't have much other than huntable is pretty much the deer, you know, for us as, as a big game species. We don't have elk or, you know, antelope or anything like that. So uh, it's, it's another viable species for hunters and sportsmen, you know, to be able to take and do their part, thinning out the species uh, that we need to do. So would you eat them in the conventional ways like barb Absolutely. pork yes. sausage? Made out of them. Uh, I do still on hogs, uh, even though, you know, it's pork, like it's strange because deer, we kill deer and if we get sausage made, deer are so lean that will generally either have beef fat or pork added to it to make the sausage, just to make it a little less lean so it won't be dry. And even with the hogs, even though it's actually a hog, they're also leaner than domestic pork just because of their diet and stuff. So I will, uh, you know, if we're getting sausage butchered up, we will have it uh, cut at least with some percentage, 10, 20% of domestic pork. It seems like that'd be a big industry. The, uh, the, the you know, the hog, I mean, the hog, products industry yeah it's a uh, the problem is you can't sell it or anything you know that, that's the thing and anything wild like that that's you know your problem is you can't harvest the meat and then sell it you know because it's not inspected like you know beef and everything so they all worry you know there's some concerns with diseases uh you know they recommend you wear rubber gloves when you're cleaning them because they are known to carry a couple uh different diseases i don't personally know anyone that's been affected i do wear gloves just because um in case because i process my own and i'll skin them and uh but yeah it's 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 big industry as far as you know hunting there's a lot of lodges and stuff that'll cater you know to hog hunting uh because of that because again it's an extra it's something else to hunt that yeah. they're doing there's interest there from sportsmen to hunt them and i hear they have a fairly rapid gestation period so they can have lots of little hogs in a hurry lots of little ones and and young i mean sometimes six months old they're already breeding and having little ones that sometimes they'll have multiple litters in one year. So that's, again, that's another species that has adapted, uh, you know, the more pressure that's put on them, they have evolved to have more. 
mm -hmm. know, to ones that are being taken out. Well, let me ask you about something else that there's, there's a lot of, but it has more of a, I guess, a local flavor to it, and that's the alligator. Alligator population is booming, right? Absolutely. The alligator population is booming. And personally, I think it's, it's overcrowded because what's happened is the demand has fallen off terribly, uh, you know, with all the kind of anti-leather, anti-fur brigades and campaigns. Um, the prices have dropped the last several years so low on alligators. We've had major landowners out Terrebonne, stuff like that. Some of the oil companies that own just thousands and thousands of acres. And that's how you get alligator tags commercially. The landowner gets to apply for the tag and they generally bid them out to alligator hunters that'll hunt them to sell. But the price got so low on them that for the last couple of years, some of the big corporations actually didn't even apply for tags. So that just means that's that many more alligators out there um, and they're, they're everywhere. You know, and that's the other thing. You don't expect it. I was bass fishing at a, a w, wildlife fishery WMA Lake, North Louisiana, probably 30, 40 miles from Arkansas and saw some of the biggest alligators I've seen in my life that far up in Louisiana, you know, where it's generally thought of coastal swamp creatures. They are up there now. Mm. And, but, so, uh, you know, again, it's pretty much a commercial season we actually lobbied for years to try and get some kind of recreational hunting you can go hunt with a guide that has tags and hunt them that way but you know it, it's expensive it's a great experience but it is a little bit expensive for the average guy the wildlife fisheries has started probably 10 years ago doing a recreational lottery for recreational anglers to have chances to hunt alligators the it's you put in for a lottery. If you if you're selected, you got to pay for your tags. They give you three tags per person if you're selected, and it's on a specific. You put in for a specific area. They list out all these different lakes, uh, wildlife management areas, some Corps of Engineers property. Uh, it's all public type property that's out there. But you put in for that specific one. They might like. I'll give you an example. I do Pearl River almost every year. I've been picked about uh, four times over the last ten years. Uh, they, I think they pick a total of 15 people that varies year per year, depending on the harvest, but 15 recreational people will get three tags each to go out there and hunt alligators. And you have to use, you know, the hook and bait thing. Like you see on swamp people, you can't go free shoot them or anything like that for that. But uh, it's a great experience and a great opportunity. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that because the lottery, anybody that would be interested in that, the application deadline for the 2022 hunt is June 30th. And you can go on uh, Louisiana Wildlife and Fish, LDWF.gov, and find, look up lottery, alligator lottery, and they'll have all the information for the application. And it's only $5 to apply. Oh. So is it the same date every year? It, the, it used to be July 5th. They've had some changes in their licensing. A big, uh, they had a revamping of all the licenses that went into effect actually uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So I think this changed because it used to be like July 4th or July 5th. And now it's changed to June 30th. I'm assuming they're going to keep it at that date now. But yeah, that's it's always that's, around the always around the end of June. In always case, around in case somebody is listening to this later in the year that you'll know. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It, it'll be around, they send out notices if you get on a mailing list, but you can go on the website to see it. And uh the season Again, varies by location, but it'll generally start end of August and run as late as mid-November in some areas. 
It just depends on what particular property you get drawn for. It's not uncommon now to see alligator on menus. A lot of time is a is an appetizer, you know, with like fried appetite, uh, fried alligator. Do you eat alligator? Or? Absolutely. It's Very mostly, good. It's mostly the meat from the tail. Is that correct? Or mostly meat from the tail, but there are there are some places on the back uh, where they'll get some meat and the leg meat. You know, it all depends on what you're cooking with it. The tail meat is the prime meat and that's really good for you know certainly fried because i mean it's just there if you're doing where you're doing like a sauce piquant or something where you're going to be cooking it down tougher meat to be from the legs and stuff but it's cooked longer obviously than fry you don't have the you don't have the opportunity to fry something longer than than when it's done whereas in a sauce piquant you can slow cook it and break it down a lot more so they'll get by with some of the back meat the rib meat and you know even the legs for that you don't hear much about tragedies as far as alligators attacking people, but there was a an incident I think last winter where uh, an alligator grabbed a man uh, walking the bayou and just dragged yeah. him into the bayou. And that was in in St. Tammany, right over Slidell. That was in conjunction right around I think Hurricane Ida, uh, and he was the the man was killed. Uh, they also got the nuisance hunters and the wildlife and fisheries hunters out there, and they did killed that particular alligator and took it out mainly, you know, once it's proven that it's a threat to humans. Um, but there are reports, I, I can't confirm completely, but there are reports that the alligator used to be fed, you know, which they always recommend against because that's what happens. And they started associating humans with food. And uh, I can't say 100% that's what was involved in this incident, but I did hear that that was a possibility. Um, it's very rare. We That death, is probably the first death in Louisiana from an allig actual alligator attack in 80 years that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, there are some minor incidents. They're curious, you know, they scare people more than actually attacking people. I, I kayak fish a lot, I, I fish right next to them. I've already had to tap them on the nose with a paddle. So they do get close to you, they come to see, but for the most part, they're not looking to attack you. Okay. And I think from reading the accounts, they did the classic death roll where they grab somebody and then go into the water and roll over, essentially drown them. Yep, that's what happens. And, and you see the same thing if you hunt them, again, like we do for the lottery, where you have to put a you know, chicken on a, on a hook when you're pulling them up, that's what they're doing. I mean, as soon as they get to the boat, they start spinning around and all you're doing is holding on. Yeah, I think crocodiles do the same thing, but we, we need not worry about that. I'm, with, I'm talking to Chris Holmes, who's a, a wildlife enthusiast, and he's done uh, several articles about um, wildlife in, in Louisiana, including uh, for Louisiana life. But let's talk about the, the, the fish out there. All right, if something happened, someone said, okay, Chris, the rest of your life, you gotta choose between saltwater fishing or freshwater fishing. You can only do one. Which would you pick? I'd have to go with saltwater. Uh, just mainly because the opportunity is there for bigger fish. Uh, you know, overall bigger. I mean, whether it be offshore, but even inshore. I mean, our redfish, jack cravel, things like that, that are nearshore saltwater fish are just much bigger than, I say anything you're catching freshwater. Of course, we've got, you know, freshwater garfish, which are huge, but uh, a little more difficult to catch, not quite as sporty. But uh, yeah, I like it all. I do both. Uh, but I, the variety available for saltwater is, uh, you know, much greater than we have in the freshwater species. And so it was more of an adventure. I mean, you're in the boat out in the Gulf, bouncing around, and you, uh, you're, you know, you're casting those lines, and 
throwing them in and drinking beer and, and yep. having fun. And, and, you know, the other part is you never know what you're going to catch sometimes. You know, that's the thing, because there is such a variety where pretty much you, you go to a bass lake. I mean, you limited three or four, you know, species that you may be looking at to catch. And where, like I said, especially offshore, you go offshore, there's no telling what's going to bite. I remember, you know, when Paul Prudhomme started the black and red fish thing, and it became such a popular dish that they almost depleted the Gulf of redfish. Correct. So they had to put limits that people weren't allowed to, I guess, commercial fishing for redfish. Right. And so, and that was the most popular fish. So all of a sudden, we started hearing about fish that at least I didn't know the Gulf had. I didn't know the Gulf had tuna. Right. They talk about Gulf. They talk about amberjack. What's a, an amberjack? They talk about my my. It was like, in the absence of the redfish, there were like new fish that were introduced. There. Correct. Yeah, and uh, to this day, there is still no commercial or recreational red fishing in the federal waters of the Gulf. That came about after the big redfish craze, and then you know they limited it first off, and then finally they uh, they shut it down completely. And there is no commercial red fishing or sport fishing for red drum, which are generally adult, you know populations out there the breeding populations are still closed if you catch one in the gulf you have to release it and i say gulf federal waters for louisiana that's three miles past three miles out for us what's the difference i guess from a culinary perspective between redfish and red snapper it's two different fish i mean the snapper i would say is more uh you know of a white meat the the red you know again the redfish, the offshore, the big breeding population, which we can keep inshore for Louisiana now. You can keep what's considered a bull red, which is over 27 inches. We can keep one out of the limits. And again, that fish never was caught, never was kept before that. It was basically considered a trash fish. And then the demand just grew so much with the popularity of the Cajun food that, you know, spread across the nation that they found these giant schools of, you know, breeding stock red drums that they could purchase them and just catch you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, it's got a heavy bloodline when it gets up that big, but if you cut it out, and of course, if you blacken it, it makes up a lot of the deficiencies, you know, and taste and stuff because yeah, blackening has such a heavy, heavy seasoning taste that even if the meat itself, you know, isn't as considered as delicious, you don't notice it as much because of the texture and, and the process of cooking it. So the seasoning kind of, disguises the taste a little bit yeah. um, it, it was a crazy look I, I still black and fish i, I love it. it it's a it's you know it's something unique uh it was started here in louisiana and like oh you know look food is our thing and that's one of the things you know all of this that we're talking about the hunting and the fishing part of it all comes back to food because you know we eat it i mean that's the thing we're not out there shooting any or, or catching any of these things typically for the fun of it you know we eat it I, even bass i mean there are a lot of diehard bass fishermen that are catch and release uh, which goes in conjunction with all the tournaments but you know i grew up in southeast louisiana and we didn't even i didn't know what a bass was it was called a green trout and we ate them from day one and i still eat them so uh it, it's all part of our heritage and that's what we do there's a lot of classifications of bass like white bass striped bass largemouth bass smallmouth bass Correct. What's the difference between all those? Again, all subspecies, we really do not have smallmouths in 
Louisiana, you don't have to go far to find them. Uh, you can find Alabama. I think North Mississippi may have some, even Arkansas. But we, we don't have that. We pretty much have largemouth, of which, again, there's largemouth. We got some spotted bass, Kentucky bass. There's just some small variations in the uh, uh, biology of those fish. They pretty much look the same. They can be distinguished by various uh, things like fin counts and some little teeth on their tongue. But they're all pretty much what we consider the green bass. And then the striped bass, white bass, they're again, all different subspecies. They're a little different. They got smaller mouths, smaller heads, uh, somewhat found in different areas. But it's all, those are all good as far as table fare. Uh, they're all great as far as sport. You know, it's just a variety of them. Largemouth is the most popular. I mean, largemouth is the most popular fish in the country because they're pretty much everywhere from California to the East Coast, north to south. Yeah, if you're looking in the Destin area, you know, around that end of the Gulf, the local fish that's really popular, I think it's the grouper. Grouper. Uh, okay. And, yeah, that's an offshore fish. It, it's popular. And again, a lot of these fish are popular based on their supply, you know, the restaurants uh, are going to convince you to eat what they have a good supply of can, can get group as a delicious fish as several, you know, different species of group. Also, Louisiana has many different group off our coast. You know, some are really, really deep water fish. Some of them are caught, you know, in close at the closer rigs and stuff like that. You're not going to really find the grouper inshore at all. They are going to be in, you know, the deeper Gulf waters. But again, that varies depending on the, the species, what depths they hang out at. What I was going to say is you never see them very much on Louisiana menus. Yeah, you'll go out there and you'll see, like you say, dust and all that. You see grouper sandwiches and they're all advertised and stuff. And again, it, it, it comes a lot to supply. You know, it's just like the same thing for us. I mean, if you ask most saltwater inshore fishermen in Louisiana what they're fishing for, it's going to be trout and redfish. You know, sheephead, drum are both delicious fish. They're both delicious sport you don't find many people that target them in Louisiana. It's because we're spoiled. <laughs> it's, it's no other way to put it. Our populations of redfish and speckled trout are just so high. Our limits are so liberal on that. We're the most liberal uh, limits across the whole Gulf Coast for that. So it's just the most popular and that's what's there. I've always thought that they need to get a new name for sheephead. That's the worst name for a fish I've hey, ever heard. Yeah. They try. Uh, yeah, right. they tried. Oh, I'm sorry. They put it on the restaurant menus as base snapper for a while, but oh, but technically yeah. it's not not a biological name. So yeah. it kind of, truth in advertising, I guess, laws you couldn't really advertise it as base snapper since there's really no such thing. Yeah. Well, it's better than sheep said. I mean, I, you know, I, well, I go for that. Let me go, just kind of briefly on some of the freshwater fishes. One. Is the tilapia still around? I remember at the time when a lot of places were doing tilapia. Now you don't see it that much. You don't see it as much now. You will see uh, some places will be selling. The other thing they'll have now is called SWAI, S-W-A-I. It's another freshwater. And the same thing with tilapia. The deal with them was pen raising, you know, raising them in ponds, uh, which, again, is not preferred uh, you can still buy it in certain places and stuff but you know these fish are those type of fish are raised in ponds they're jam-packed in there the water quality is terrible because they're just so full of that many fish in such combined areas and they're pretty much eating and pooping in a confined area and 
drinking the water and breathing all at the same time. So uh, you see it, it was an alternative, but you know, again, we have fairly good populations uh, of wild and farm raised catfish, you know? So for freshwater sale and restaurant type fish, it's gonna be catfish is gonna be preferred. I remember a restaurant guy, like, like a chef saying, he didn't like to cook tilapia because he said it's a very difficult fish to clean. Mm -hmm. It was like the bony structure was like a, a hard thing to fix. But there was a time when you saw a lot of tilapia and then it just went away. And I just uh, Yeah, I think, it, again, it's one of those things that kind of a little bit of a fad. Uh, they could get it at the right price. They had a good margin on them to be able to sell them and make money. But again, I just refer back again to Louisiana and our, our food heritage you know we know what we like we know what's good and if we can eat uh, a nice freshwater real native catfish uh, as opposed to something farm raised like a tilapia it's just not going to catch on you know we try as we might we have you know some invasive species in freshwater and especially which is the asian carp and they're all over the place they keep trying uh, i've gone to several presentations where they get some of the best chefs you know, in the state together, they get these fish, they cook them, they're delicious. But again, they're hard to clean. They're hard to catch recreationally. Commercially, they can uh, get them, but they still haven't really come up with viable ways to catch them in sufficient numbers to make it, you know, profitable for them. But it's a delicious fish to eat. But again, it's, it's not native. It's not what we generally, you know, same thing as a sheephead. You know, most people aren't going to a restaurant and say, oh, yeah, I want a nice piece of carp. You know, the thing about the carp, I was actually at a lunch, and this wasn't like with wildlife or fisheries, but these are just like relatives, right? And somehow the carp thing came up. And one person said, man, they're really delicious. And the other said, what? So it's terrible. He said, it's really oily. It's really a greasy kind of fish. And so there's a real divergence of opinion, one who really liked it and one who hated it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like anything, too. It, it depends on how it's prepared, and it depends on who prepared it. I mean, we get a lot of that with game. You know, people, oh, I don't like it. It takes, it tastes too strong. It tastes gamey and whatever. And uh, my honest response to all of that is then you never had it cooked right because, you know, it's, it's all delicious. I mean, I, you know, some people's taste is different. You may not convince them, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's all good. It just depends on, you know, and it's from – from field to the table too, how it's, how it's kept, how it's prepared, you know, how it's stored uh, can affect the, the end product. We're going to wind up because I don't know how much time we have talking about birds, but before that we do something called this or that uh, where mm -hmm. Kelly will ask you some questions. And um, I don't know if you've read the fine print in the contract. If you miss any of these questions, you owe us $500. Okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> All right, Kelly. <laughs> All right. I promise I'll go easy on you. <laughs> okay. A couple of these are based off of some things you said, y'all said already. First one is redfish or catfish? Redfish. Mm, why? Uh, I enjoy the sport part of catching them. Um, eating, I can take either one, but uh, I've, yeah, I fish more for redfish just because I live again in Southeast Louisiana, closer to the coast uh, and saltwater areas and Lake Pontchartrain and all that. So uh, I just prefer, I think it's, it's more sport. Um, they're, they're delicious fish to eat and, but I won't turn down a catfish. I like it. 
Okay, if you're out hunting and a black bear comes up or a feral hog or boar comes up, which one are you more scared of? <laughs> it would probably be the bear just because I don't have as much experience with them. Like I said, I've hunted hogs a lot and uh, I know they're dangerous and they have problems with it. The bear, I think, would be just a little more unpredictable, mainly for lack of knowledge. I, I wouldn't be really scared. I have hunted black bears in Canada, so I am familiar with them and in a hunting situation. But uh, it would just be mainly because of not the familiar, you know, less familiarity, easy for me to say, familiarity <laughs> with them and how their habits are and whatever. I just would be worried that I'd do something stupid and he'd make me pay for it. Okay, the next one is ducks or geese? Ducks. Okay, and then the big one, hunting or fishing? Man. <laughs> if I, I hate to think that I'd ever have to choose. I know, you have to pick one. <laughs> if I one, I would have to pick fishing. And the only reason is because here in Louisiana, we're blessed, unlike many, many other states, is our fishing, we really don't have season other than like snapper and stuff like that. But there's something to fish every 365 days, whereas you can't say the same for hunting. Interesting, I did not know that. Yeah. Perfect, you passed. Okay, <laughs> good job. It's a little bit about birds, all right? The, mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of for one. What is listed as the official state animal, I guess this is using a loose definition of animal, is the pelican. The pelican mm -hmm. is a magnificent bird. I mean, I love seeing them when they just when, when they just gliding around and when they see something they dip in. It's just a wonderful sight to see. Correct. Yeah, uh, and it's a good story because the what the population was almost depleted, and then we brought them back, and then they. Uh, I came across this story. I don't know if, if you've heard this or not, um, but it said that the um, in two thousand ten. A brown pelican was tagged, number 332. Uh, it, it had been rescued. This is when they had a deep water horizon. Oil uh -huh. So it was rescued from that. After the cleaning oil from it and rehabilitating it, they tagged it and they brought it to Brunswick, Georgia. In 2021, the bird was spotted in Louisiana at its old breeding grounds. It traveled 700 miles to return home. I think it's amazing. It is. It, it, you know, especially you see that with birds and, you know, especially ducks and stuff, because they're doing now, you know, with technology. I mean, they're able to put radio uh, tagging devices on birds and watch them migrate for years back and forth, Canada to Louisiana or wherever and see their route, find out that they stop in the same location, you know, almost every year. So it, it, that's one good thing with technology now is we are able to tag these animals and stuff and find out their movements where before it's kind of a guessing game or ultimately they put a band you know i mean birds especially we still use bird banding but so much of the information from bird banding is they would know where you banned it where it was banned and you know approximate age they turn it loose it might get killed you know hunt by a hunter or something five years later so they can tell where it started and where it ended up, but they didn't know what happened in between. But like this one, I'm sure they probably knew where, you know, some of the things that happened along the way too. Where's the best place to go bird watching? I mean, bird watching is such a broad category because, you know, you got songbirds, 
you know, for us here, um, you know, being close to the coast and the Gulf, we get a lot of tropical birds that migrate, you know, from uh, South American stuff that'll come in. And, you know, for most people, again, without having, you know, your own private land, any of the wildlife management areas, but even parks, you know, big parks like New Orleans and City Park and Audubon Park and things like that. These birds, anyway, you got trees, you know, certainly for that. And again, in the swamps for specific birds, you know, most birders, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, like anybody, they, they have a hobby that they like, they've got lots of resources, so they know specific species when and where to expect to see them what time of year and things like that. And they'll go looking for that, you know, cause they, they have checklists, you know, that's their thing with these big checklists of all the different species they can finally, you know, identify and see in the wild and to go do it. So uh, it's pretty cool. You know, we've got a lot. And, and if you're looking at waterfowl, you know, any of the wild birds and stuff, obviously, you know, our ducks uh, throughout the state uh, in the marshes, we do get a lot in South Louisiana. We get a lot less than uh, we used to. And I think that's a lot to do with our coastal issues, but um you know, come fall and into early spring, we still, you know, have millions of waterfowl come to our state to, to spend the winter. You know, right outside of Lafayette, Lake Martin, mm -hmm. one of the great sites to go. And uh, I've been there one time, just drove by, it's unbelievable. Uh, yep. It, it's near, uh, near every island. The, uh, do you know, there was a bird with great fanfare, I guess, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 years ago that Audubon Park actually nurtured and brought back the whooping crane. Do you Correct. know what whooping cranes left? We know, and whooping cranes again are one of the projects uh, Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries has a whooping crane breeding program. I mean, down to the ones, you know, where they have to dress up like the puppets to look like a giant crane to handle these young ones so they don't imprint on humans and stuff. And we've got a fairly decent uh, growing whooping crane population again probably central louisiana marshes at, uh the most popular area for them now i don't think they promote it too much you know as far as people encouraging people to go see them because they are in a rebuilding you know stage so they're trying to keep them as unmolested i guess as possible and don't want any you know encroachment to maybe change their activities or uh things that they would do but lots of tag whooping cranes they encourage you to report spotting them and uh so yeah i expect uh, if everything goes well there'll be some good viable populations of those again we have some now but and again i i can't say enough you know wildlife fisheries has an excellent website with lots of resources and they also you know they've they've been doing their magazine the louisiana conservationist for uh, I don't know exactly, but probably over a hundred years. And they now have all of that. I just had to go research it for an article I was doing and found out that they have all of the issues, even all the back ones scanned now and available to see and read online. So it's, it's phenomenal to go see all these older issues, older photographs, and they've got the stories on everything, the reintroduction of the white-tailed deer, the turkeys, uh, the, the cranes, all of that stuff's in there. If you're interested in reading about them, they have all these stories linked to all the different programs that have been taken, you know, placed uh, on the state for years. You know, I guess the cherished bird, I don't know how plentiful or if it's, a, is the, the Rosiac Spoonbill. Mm -hmm. The one that John James Oliver made famous and in one right. of those chains. I think they have some, aren't they, aren't they? Like at uh, Avery Island, or I think there are a few. Yeah. We've, we've got a lot. I uh, Last place I saw them, where was I? 
Oh, just down in, in South uh, Lafourche. I, I saw, I took pictures one evening. I was kayak fishing. They had a bunch of them come in one evening. So they're, they're spread out throughout the marsh and you'll see them, which you generally see. If you ever hear, you'll see people reporting they saw a flamingo. We don't have flamingos, but yeah, you know, I know they'll see them in the trees and they report them as seeing flamingos, but it'll be rosette spoonbills. They're beautiful birds. Okay. Uh, but, but before we wrap up, just in the hunting in general, you've mentioned several times deer hunting and we really haven't talked about that. Is the whitetail deer, is that the best hunting in Louisiana? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, our, that's our premier big game species. Again, like I said, we have no elk or antelope or anything like that or no huntable bear population. So other than the hogs, yeah. And again, the good thing about whitetail, they were also brought in, uh, we restocked. There were several, you know, at, at times in the past where they had some major disease. We've got uh, the, uh, God, I just slipped my mind. The, the problem we're having now with a little bit chronic wasting disease, CWD. Uh, there's been a couple uh, parishes that had some found, but from North Louisiana all the way to the coast, uh, you know, the deer is an amazing creature. Again, it lives in the uplands and it lives in a swamp. You got places in Southeast Louisiana, you don't see a tree for 30 miles and it's all marshland and there are deer out there living in that marsh. Wow. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's popular. Uh, you know, again, we're not called the sportsman's paradise for nothing. We have such a wide variety of huntable species and fish and, you know, with good regulations, sustainable populations and opportunities to hunt with lots of, you know, public land because private land, you know, it's getting tighter. There are, it is, it is shrinking, but we do, the state does maintain thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of publicly huntable land and fish land, you know, that you can, uh, you do have need, need a permit now, like a $20 annual permit to access the WMAs and stuff, but it's a small price to pay for access to such beautiful and well-kept land. Okay. And finally, there's been over the last few years, a couple of, uh, reality TV shows set in Louisiana. I guess the most famous was Doug Dynasty. Uh, mm -hmm. Another one that got down in the swamps and uh, Louisiana's famous line is shoot it. Okay, I forget which, which one it is. And I think there's something about game wardens. Do you Have you watched any of those? And what do you think? I've, wa I've watched most of them. Uh, the, the game warden show is the newest. Uh, you know, and uh, you left out swamp people too, which is just immensely popular and still is i mean i know uh, one of the guys that's on there currently and um the uh you know the game board show i think is good because it gives you know yeah, look all of these reality shows in general are kind of pretty far from reality especially the you know the the people shows but shows like the game board stuff i mean there they have to be some element of you know truth in it and you see what these guys do but it, it gives you a different perspective of the job these guys have out there, literally risking their lives. We had one that was, you know, shot horribly a couple of years ago. He's made a major recovery, thankfully. But uh, and it was on for a stop that turned out to be a drug bust type of thing. And he was ambushed and shot. So, you know, it, look, most of the people these guys encounter have guns, you know, with them and stuff. And, you know, most of them are good, honest sportsmen, but some aren't. So, yeah, I, I think the show's worth watching all of them. I think you're going to learn, you can learn something from all of them, see, you know, different view, views and different areas of the state from all of them, you know, from the swamp people, from Duck Dynasty. And, you know, look, it's, it's promoting Louisiana also, which is a good thing. And, and the bountiful resources we do have here. What's the guy's name? Uh, Stanga? That's the oh, 
that's the the login. What is that the log? Oh yeah, maybe that's the other one about logging. Yeah, yeah, that was another one. Log loggers or whatever. Axeman, I think, is the name of the show. Yeah, and they were logging some of the site and picking up a lot of the old sinker cypress and stuff out of the swamps too. And again, which is something unique kind of to our area. Yeah. That's there. So it gives some insight for people that had no clue otherwise. Well, several years ago, I mean, many years ago, they did an article about him in Louisiana Life. And I'm told that to this day, it's the highest clicked on article we've ever had. It's got a yeah. huge response. It just uh, went nationwide. And so it's they're interesting yeah. people. Um, well, thank you very much. This has been delightful. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, what's your next outdoor adventure going to be? Well, well, it'll be in a couple of days. I'm leaving this, this afternoon to head for Alaska. And, uh, so, uh, on Saturday I'll be flying out. We land on a beach in a small plane to go view the coastal brown bears in there. Totally wild. And Wait, in, like, in Alaska or New Orleans? Or in, in, Alaska. in Alaska. My next one in Louisiana will be when I get back from Alaska and it'll be probably kayak fishing. But um, so uh, I, I fish four, five, six times a month at a minimum. Generally, uh, I've gotten into the kayak fishing a whole lot. It's it's such a growing sport. Uh, and Louisiana has so many areas that are conducive to, you know, excellent kayak fishing, both fresh and salt water. So it's really, really uh, taking off. OK, well, thank you very much. We'll do this again and get an update on what you've been doing. So. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Bye-bye. Okay, Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.